Well, welcome. Thank you for coming again this evening. Tonight is the last one planned. Doesn't mean it's the last one ever, but it's the last one planned. And we're going to talk about digital privacy and digital security. And what does that mean? Well, it means a few things, and I'll kind of talk about what those are before we really dive in. Uh, but it'll take about an hour. We'll talk about threat modeling so you know where you can focus your efforts. We will talk about compartmentalizing services that I think you should consider. And then we'll talk about settings and permissions and solutions you can have within the apps. If you do have a question, please ask the question. I'm not an expert. This, I'm still on my own journey through this, but it's been two and a half years now that I've been on it. And just like everything else, I've done some things, I've spent some money, I've learned, I've messed up, I've gotten better. So if you have a question, I'll do my best to answer it, but I may point you in a certain direction to answer the question. So before we start, so digital privacy and security, I talked about it, my computer didn't like any of that. <laughs> so it decided, you know what, bud, okay. See how you like this. You know, it's funny, you always try to have backups for everything. I didn't think I needed a backup laptop tonight, but we'll see if it does. Let's talk about privacy and security for a second. Privacy and security are absolutely not the same thing. A bank is probably the best example of this. A bank, very secure. Armed guards, bank vaults, locks everywhere, but at no point in time are you private in that building whatsoever. You've got three cameras on you at least at a given time. A guard has probably called you out. The recordings are gonna be kept for eternity. Who knows, right? Banks are secure, but they are absolutely not private. Conversely, a back alley somewhere in between buildings, probably very private, probably not very secure, mostly because of who hangs out in those back alleys in between the buildings. So understand there is a difference between privacy and security. And work, there we go. Okay, so before we start, why does this matter? I already told you about privacy, security, and the difference between them. Here's some common pushback that I've received through my journey from other people that I talk to, family members, loved ones, friends. I don't care that, insert big tech company name here, Google, Apple, Amazon, whatever, knows things about me. Uh, it's impossible to be private and secure in the internet age. That's probably the one I hear the most. Uh, it's too much work to do all that stuff. It's too expensive to get to that point. And then why should I care have, anyway, I don't, I don't have anything to hide. Well, you probably have heard these questions or have thought them yourselves at some point, right? Here's some common responses to the, I don't care. Well, do you want fewer spam emails, texts, and phone calls? Pretty sure we could all say yes to that. It's impossible to be private and secure in the digital age. When you go home, do a web search for my name. You've got it, it's available on the web, on the club directory. Find it, Google it. It's something I do on a regular basis because I wanna know what's out there if somebody Googles me. It's too much work to do it all. It could be as much or as little as you want it to be. And it could be as expensive or as inexpensive as you want it to be. And then the last one I love, uh, why should I care, I don't have anything to hide. What's your bank account number? <laughs> so you do have something to hide it's just not nefarious in nature. People forget that part. They think, I don't have anything to hide. They immediately think, I'm not a criminal. Well, you don't have to be a criminal to go to Target, swipe your credit card, and then have some wackadoo 
steal your information and then possibly your identity. So this, this I don't have anything to hide thing, just ask them, what's your bank account number? Well, why would I tell you that? So you do have something to hide. It proves a point. Threat modeling. What the hell is threat modeling? And ultimately what it means is what matters to you. So what is a threat model? Straight from Wikipedia, and I'm going to read this. Threat modeling is a process by which potential threats, such as structural vulnerabilities or the absence of appropriate safeguards, can be identified and enumerated and countermeasures prioritized. The purpose of threat modeling is to provide defenders with a systematic analysis of what controls defenses need to be included, given the nature of the system, the prob probable attacker's profile, most likely attack vectors, and the assets most desired by an attacker. So what the hell does that mean in plain English? Identifying things you want to protect, evaluating the likely threats that they will have, and then protecting them against those threats. So, if I have a car, I have identified the car is the thing I want to protect. What vulnerabilities do I have? Somebody's going to try to get in my car and steal it and drive away. What actions am I going to take? Lock my door, have my keys with me. That is a threat model. I've identified the thing, I've identified the likely attack that's going to happen, Somebody's going to try to steal it. So what have I done? I've locked my doors and made sure I have my keys. That's all it is. But then you apply that to many different things. Are all threat models the same? Simple answer? No. Absolutely not. Why? Well, because it should be based, at least in part, on your habits, your vulnerabilities, your ignorance, and your personal and professional lives. So if you have, if you're a celebrity, right? This will be different for everyone as things matter to one person may not matter to someone else. Additionally, you may want to, you may be more of a target if you are a celebrity, a public figure, or someone with sensitive knowledge. So if you are the CEO of a big organization, your threat model is probably more aggressive than if I'm a welder in an assembly line. Because I don't necessarily have secret knowledge unless I'm a welder in assembly line at NASA then I might have secret knowledge, and then my threat model may need to be different, but maybe not as strict as the CEO's, or maybe more strict than the CEO's, depending on what my security clearance is. Not all threat models are the same. Don't let somebody else's threat model have such an impact on yours that you either go too far, don't go far enough, or give up altogether. Understand that Theirs is different for them. No different than when you prepare for a disaster. If I live at the top of a mountain, I'm not going to prepare for a flood. And I'm not going to let somebody who lives below sea level influence how I prepare necessarily, simply because they're preparing for a flood. Threat modeling is the same kind of thing. And threat modeling is not just a digital thing. Threat modeling is your car, is your preparedness, is your likely scenarios. All that stuff that we did in uh, the first seminar where we talked about likely scenarios to happen, that's all threat modeling, or at least part of it is or part of threat modeling. Should threat modeling change? Short answer, yeah. It should change as you become more knowledgeable, as you get a new device, or your device ages beyond a certain period of time. Because not all updates go to every device. At some point, Apple will stop supporting an iPhone 5 and sending security updates to it, which makes you more vulnerable. Therefore, your threat model should change. Conversely, if you buy a brand new computer, you should probably threat model against where you got that computer from, or what is it? Is it a new operating system that you're not used to? 
or are you going to use a specific type of software that you haven't used before? Whatever it is. And then, of course, you should do it at least annually. Just go through and say, is there something else out there that has come along or that has fallen off or is there a new, a new attack vector that people are using that I need to be aware of? Just stay up to date. So can it change? I think it should change with time. All right. Compartmentalization. Uh, and for you Offspring fans, got to keep them separated. So what is compartmentalization? From Merriam-Webster, to separate into isolated compartments or categories. Thankfully, I didn't need to do a plain English version of that one. But what does it mean in this context? We're talking about digital privacy and security. How do you compartmentalize something? It means using one phone for personal and one phone for work. Or it means using uh, one computer for certain types of software and another computer for other types of software. Or one device for one very specific purpose. I only do this on that. Or one web browser for a very specific type of use case. I'm only going to search the web with this one and I'm only going to log into my bank on this one. And all that kind of stuff you can compartmentalize. Uh, using a virtual network for smart home tasks. So think of the Alexas, the Google Nests, all those things, Google Homes, whatever, where you say, hey Siri, hey Alexa, hey whatever, thing pops up. Well, that has access to the internet, but it doesn't have to have access to the internet. You can create what's called a virtual network, um, and you can say, hey, you have access to this internet, but it's not internet, it's just a network, and all of those smart devices are on that network that has no access to the internet. You can go buy a router from the store, you know, a wireless uh, router, to create a Wi-Fi signal, plug it into the wall, you don't have to plug it into the internet. Nobody tells you this, but you don't have to do that. You can create a Wi-Fi network that has no internet, but it means all those devices are connected on that. So then you can say, Alexa, turn on the television. And then the television comes on, and it might have a cable thing plugged into the back of it for local network or your cable box, but it's not actually connected to the internet. Things like that. Uh, again, using a specific web browser for a specific type of task. Using different, uh, creating different user profiles based on the applications that you use. So in Windows, in Android, phones and things, you can create different user profiles. So think of it like you go on to your favorite streaming service and you could pick your kids, yours, or your sisters, or whomever's. It's the same thing on the computer, it's the same thing on the phone. And that way, compartmentalize your private life, the bank account information, all that, on one user profile, and then you do all your other stuff on the other user profile. But you kind of catch a theme there, right? It can be difficult, it can be frustrating, it can be time consuming, it's not as easy, for sure. So isn't it difficult? It doesn't have to be if you don't want it to be. You don't have to go through all the effort of creating a different user profile if your threat model doesn't call for it. You don't have to think, oh, Jesus, well, now he's saying I have to use one web browser for the, for the banking, but I have to create a user profile to access that web browser, and it's just a lot. I'm just not even going to bother. It doesn't have to be that difficult. It could be as difficult as you want it to be, as intense as you want it to be. But conversely, it doesn't have to be much. In fact, we're going to go through an exercise at the end of this thing, or near the end of this thing, and you will all leave here 
more private and secure than you walked in through that door. This is the only one where it's so interactive. I'm going to literally show you steps you could take right now on your phones um, to make yourselves better before you walk out that door. Uh, next, isn't it expensive? It can be, depending on how far you want to go. Most of what... <laughs> There's the old adage. I don't have to be faster than the bear, I just have to be faster than you. Bear's going to get you, he's not going to worry about me. You don't have to be Fort Knox. You just got to be better than the next person in line. Because if the attacker takes more than 15 seconds to get into your stuff, he's just going to go somewhere where it's going to take him three seconds. It's not like they're looking at it like, ooh, this is a challenge for every single one, maybe. But are you high profile enough to garner that attention? Or are you just another name on a list or another number somewhere, right? So what does that threat model look like? Now, if I'm a CEO of an organization, somebody may sit there for days trying to crack something. So then, yes, I would want more. But if I'm just a welder at a shipyard, hey, just got to be better than the next guy. Just got to be faster than my friend. The bear will eat them. So is it expensive? It could be, most could be done with habit changes, truthfully. Think we talked about the home preparedness. A lot of what I said there, there was no cost, low cost, and expensive alternatives or, or ways to make your house safer, more secure. It's no different here. There's no cost, which you're going to do tonight, hopefully. There's low cost, which is maybe buying uh, a more secure device or maybe paying for a service. And then there could be higher cost, which is paying for multiple services. And then... You may not know this, but if you Google your name and you don't like what comes up, you can pay a company to basically sanitize the internet of your name. It's possible. I'm not saying it's cheap. I don't know exactly how much it costs. I'm sure it's different for each use case, but it's possible. It's out there. If you don't like what shows up, pay somebody. They'll erase it for you. Um, free services do exist, but be careful. Is it really erased? That's a great question. Is it ever really erased? So it's a fantastic question because there's things like the uh, Wayback Machine and things like that on the internet where you could see what web pages looked like in 1996 or a specific time. Is it ever really gone? No, not necessarily. But if it doesn't show up in a simple internet search, it's better than it was. Because if I can throw your name in a search engine, could probably tell you your registered political party that you vote for. I could probably tell you your address, your age, your likely spouse, siblings, and uh, offspring. I could probably tell you roughly what states you've lived in in your life. And if there's some other information attached, I could go even deeper. For one, for, give, give an example. This was 2014 or 15. I once did a search for an individual, simple internet search. By the way, you're going to hear something if you go into this a little bit more. OSINT, OSINT, which is Open Source Intelligence. That's all it means. OS is Open Source, INT, Intelligence. That's all you're doing when you search the internet for somebody. It's open source. It's out there. Anybody can look for it. I did a web search for this individual, found out who their mother was, found their mother's preferred username, 
searched the username and found a review she once wrote on a cruise that she went on. And I could tell you that she preferred to stay on the boat when they went to port because she was more comfortable on the ship than she was on the land. That granular, and I can tell you she didn't like the coffee maker on the ships either. That granular, simply by finding, I, I, I started down one path, found a mother, found a username the mother tended to use across multiple sites, searched the username, found reviews, all kinds of stuff. It can get really far down. So to your point, is it ever really gone? No, probably not. But is it searchable or easily searchable? And then comes into the other part, how much information are you volunteering to the internet? So that when I search your name, what comes up? Because of course there's things that unfortunately are gonna be nigh impossible to get rid of. Government records, public government records that are digitized, probably gonna be nearly impossible to get rid of that stuff, right? But if you write a review for a cruise ship that you went on, that's the information you're volunteering. Think about that. And whatever you put on Facebook, or whatever one you Yeah. Uh, be wary of free services. If it's free, likely it means one of two things. Not absolutely, but likely it means one of two things. Either it is a funded project by people who voluntarily donate money to the project so it can stay free, so they don't have to charge, or the company has made it free because you are the product. They're taking your information and they're selling your information somewhere else. So you are the thing. So it's free, give me all the stuff. And then they get the stuff and they sell the stuff, which is a part of you, really. Just be careful with that. All right. What services, in my opinion, should you consider? Because you can use technology to protect you from technology. It's absolutely possible. Now, I'm going to splash a few things up on here. We'll walk through it slowly. Please ask questions if you don't know what it is. I'd rather you have a little bit more information than you left with tonight than leaving going, damn, all of that went over my head. I got nothing from it. Please ask the questions. I tried to write it in such a way that it was a little more understandable, but understand we're talking about things that have words that, quite frankly, I didn't know what the hell they meant two and a half years ago. Big, long words or words that shouldn't go together that do go together. Use technology to protect you. And again, it can go as far down the rabbit hole as you want. You can buy these little Raspberry Pi computer things and hook them up to your network so all the ads and everything go in there and you can use Tor browsers and Onion sites and all these things, but you don't have to go that far. So what services do I recommend you to consider? Very first thing is multi-factor authentication, sometimes known as MFA or 2FA. Use it whenever possible so your accounts aren't accessed without your knowledge. Note that SMS authenticators aren't the best option, but they are better than nothing. If possible, try for TOTP, email, or hardware keys. That's a lot of freaking acronyms I just put up there. So let me break this down for you. Multi-factor authentication or two-factor authentication. Likely you are already doing this and you don't even know it. You log into your bank on your phone. Your bank says, hey, we're going to text you a code. What number? That's two-factor authentication. The problem is... That is SMS two-factor authentication. Well, why is that vulnerable? Well, because all I have to do is spoof your 
little uh, card that's in your phone that says, this is the phone number for this phone. If I can spoof that, I can get all your text messages. I can listen to your phone calls. I'll get your phone calls. So people have figured out ways to basically say, hey, 2FA, two-factor authentication, send me a text with a code. And then they've got your number. Here is where people exploit this. This is a really, a really common one. Uh, Facebook Marketplace or Craigslist or any, any online selling platform. You put something up and you say, hey, email me, uh, email me if you're interested. And you put your, you know, my email at gmail.com. Somebody will reach out to you and say, hey, uh, I just texted you a code. Can you send that code back to me so I know that you're actually the person selling this item? No, 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 no. What they've just done is they've gone to google.com and said, I forgot my password with your email address. And it's 2FA, it's sending you a code. And if you send them that code, you just gave them the keys to your email. Then they're gonna change the password and lock you out. And then they're gonna send all your friends, all these phishing emails, phishing emails. What the hell is a phishing email? PH. I-S-H-I-N-G, phishing. Phishing with a P-H instead of an F. It's, it looks real, but you click on a link and it's not what you thought it was. And then all of a sudden, $5,000 is gone. $10,000 is gone. Or somebody has your identity. Or now they have access to your email. So if you sell something on Facebook and you put your Gmail ad, or any email address on there, and they say, hey, I just sent you a code and you send me that code so I know you're the one selling the item, it's a scam. They're trying to bypass a 2FA. And that is called social engineering. Social engineering is, hey, where are you from? You know, you meet somebody in an elevator. People love to tell their lives to everybody, right? They like to share what, they, what they've accomplished in life or what they're proud of in life, their children. What are most people's passwords? Pets, years they were born, high schools they went to, mother's maiden names, all this information. Hey. Oh, yeah, we're in for where are you from? Michigan. Cool, what part of Michigan? Oh, I had a brother that lived in that town. Did you know him? His name was such a... They're making shit up. They don't know, right? It's like, oh, that's pretty cool. You Married? Kids? What do you got? Oh, yeah, two kids, three grandkids, blah, blah. That's social engineering, and that is a phenomenal way for a con artist to get all of your stuff. It's... I'll tell you what. It is absolutely an art form. Absolutely an art form. So the next time you're in an elevator, the next time you're waiting in line, the next time you go on vacation, just be cautious what you tell people because you don't know how they're using it. Personally, I'd just go to Disney. Everybody goes to Disney. There's a whole host of targets, and I could probably get one a day. I like to think I'm personable enough I could get one a day from a social engineering standpoint. The difference is I don't have nefarious intent. So multi-factor authentication. MFA, 2FA, set it up wherever possible. TOTP, time-sensitive, one-time passcode. Time-sensitive, one-time passcode. So this is like, um, this would be like an authenticator app that you download for your phone. And the authenticator app, every 10 seconds, it's a rolling code. And every 10 seconds, the code changes, or 20 seconds, or 40 seconds, or whatever it is. The code changes. Time-sensitive, one-time password. So you try to log into your email. Your email says, what's the, what's the authenticator app say? You know, what's that code, six-digit code? And you've got to punch it in before the time changes because if time changes and then you punch it in, it's changed. Now it won't take it. 
Those are really good because it's really tough to crack those. Not impossible, but tough. Email, not a bad way, unless somebody's already attacked you and now you don't have access to that email address. Hardware key, what the hell is a hardware key? A hardware key is literally a thing that you carry with you that you plug into a given device that you're trying to log into. They don't, not every service allows these or, or is set up to accept it, but if it is, it's something to consider, especially for your more sensitive things. Unfortunately, I wish banking institutions had this as, a, as an option, but a lot of them don't. And it's even more secure if you can't get it out of the bag that you put it in. I mean, you want to talk security, there it is. That's security. But basically a hardware key, I'll just show it this way, is this tiny little guy right there. That's all it is. And you have to set it up, then you plug it into the device, phone, computer, whatever it is, and it gives you, grants you access to those things. So it's no different than the key to your front door of your house. You need the key to get into the house. To bypass that lock, I need this key. It's the same thing. But that can be very frustrating if you're somewhere and you don't have that key or you lose that key. It can be very frustrating to get that information back. So TOTP is an authenticator app you can download on your phone. Don't worry, I will give you recommendations for what to use if you choose to go that route. And hardware key is literally a thing that plugs into the computer. The problem with cell phones is if you don't have if you don't have it locked, if I can just walk up and unlock your phone, well then I can in theory unlock the authenticator <laughs> app too. Or I could just access your email. So why would I need to go through the process of sending you an SMS if I could just get your phone and unlock it? Oh, well, mine is locked with my fingerprint. Great. Uh could knock you unconscious and use your fingerprint to open the phone. Oh, well, well, mine, I use my face ID. I don't even need to knock you unconscious for that, right? Just hold your phone up to you. Push the button, it sees you, it's really quick. So as I'm taking your phone off the table, click the button, it sees you, I walk away, now it's unlocked. The other thing, when it comes to biometrics, and this has been fought in court, I don't know if it was in the US, but it was fought in court. When it comes to your biometrics, your fingerprint, your facial structure, all this stuff, that was deemed to not be knowledge. Therefore, the police could force you to unlock your phone if you use biometrics. So if you use a fingerprint scanner, they could say, you have to unlock your phone. Legally, you have to do it because it's not a passcode. It's biometrics. It's not inherently something you know that you have to tell me. You just have to put your thumb here because they can fingerprint you. They arrest you, detain you, they fingerprint you, right? They take your picture. It's no different on your phone. It's a picture or it's a fingerprint. So a passcode, whether it's a series of numbers or an actual phrase or something, is going to be much more secure because that's knowledge. That is something you know that they can't legally force you to give up, which is why the FBI got so pissed when there was a shooting and they said, Apple, you need to get us into this phone. And Apple said, no, it's not going to happen. Yes, but, but this is why we, okay, great, it's still not going to happen. That's probably the one and only time Apple actually stood up for something. For whatever that's worth. Your just make sure your phones are locked. And if you're using a thumbprint, fingerprint, 
whatever, cool, that's fine. Just understand its limitations. I'm not saying your threat model has to change and you can't use Face ID to get into your phone. That's not what I'm saying. But you should understand how it could be exploited against you. That's all. So for cell phones, what can you do? Well, camera covering cases. Get a case for your phone that covers the camera. This one just slides. There's my camera. You probably see people who, and you might be a person who, has a Band-Aid over the phone or over the camera on a laptop or something. They make these little things in the front that just slide. Open, close. There's magnetic ones. There's clicky ones. There's simple ones. I think six bucks gets you a six-pack or something. And they just stick on. Real easy. Uh, <laughs> microphone deletes. So what is a microphone delete? If you've got a phone that still has a three and a half millimeter headphone jack, there's this little thing you plug in that tells the phone, hey, uh, a microphone's plugged in, but there's nothing attached to it. So the phone's looking for something that isn't there. So it's using a microphone that doesn't exist, so there's no microphone. Alternatively, if you know what you're doing, you can go in there and just cut wires. That is such an extreme case, your threat model has to call for that. For me, I can, using the settings on the phone, I can actually turn the microphone off, so no app has access to the microphone which is great until you go to take a phone call and you forget you've done that and you're talking and they can't hear you on the other end. Ask me how I know. Right. It could be as extreme or as lenient as you want it to be, as your threat model calls for. Text messaging. So, services. Signal, Briar, and Threema. Holy names. Okay, Signal. Android, uh, Android users, hands in the air. All iPhones in this room? Android. Android, okay, a couple of Androids. So on Android, Signal, at least currently, although I was just listening to a podcast coming down here that says this is going to change. There's no date yet. But currently, Signal can be set up as your default messenger. So anybody who texts you, it can come through Signal. iPhone users, that's not the case. Your little iMessage green app thing, that's still going to be default. You cannot change the default from that, but you can still download and use Signal as a messaging app. Threema is a paid service, but that was what was featured in the terminal list. And it's basically what spies use. The CIA, other people, they use that kind of thing because it's... You don't give any information, basically, to open an account, so they don't know who you are. They don't care who you are. You use that service. Briar is a cool one, except both users have to be on at the same time. So if your app is open, but the other person's app isn't open, you can't message each other. Because there's no storing it in somewhere, and when they open it up, it'll be there. No, it doesn't happen that way. Signal, if you're going to do one thing on your cell phone, Signal. Look into that, understand what it is, because you can also use it on your computer. So if you've got a, an Apple computer, let's say, and you put Signal on your iPhone, you can put Signal on your app, uh, your whatever, MacBook Pro or something like that. You can text, just like you could iMessage, back and forth. You could text with Signal, back and forth, to other Signal users only. For Android, Signal does everything right now. SMS, whether, whether the other person is a Signal user or not, doesn't matter. You can still get all your texts through Signal currently, but that may change in the future. 
We shall see. App stores for Android, again, it depends on what your threat model looks like, but everybody uses the Google Play Store, which is fine, except every time you download something, now Google knows what you're getting and what you're using. If that matters to you, there's another app store for Android called F-Droid. No idea what that stands for, but I have an imagination. <laughs> uh, for cell phone, new device. If you've got some old, put it this way, if you can take the battery out of your phone and swap it, time for a new phone. <laughs> well, but, but you just said it wasn't going to be expensive. Okay, but like I said, at some point, all those security updates will stop for your device. And then you need to make a determination. Am I still meeting my threat model? Am I, st am I still protected from my own threat model? And then operating system. If you've got an Android, you can use something called Calyx OS. Very involved. These kind of go in, in order from least involved and least knowledge needed to most knowledge needed. I have used F-Droid on my Android device, but I don't always. Uh, I do have up-to-date devices. I have not gone the route of a completely different operating system on my phone. That's not something I personally am prepared to do based on my threat model, my knowledge, my comfort. When I started my journey, my big thing was, and I, and I told the person who was helping me on this journey, I don't want to be put in a box. I don't want to feel like I have six skeleton keys and I've got all these locks in this door just to walk through a door. I don't want to feel that way. That was what I said. And currently, changing the operating system on my phone is not something I'm prepared to do. That's just a bridge too far right now. Maybe down the road my threat model changes. Or maybe the world changes and therefore I feel my threat model needs to change. We'll see. So tell, tell me why I want to do this. Tell me why... So let me ask you this, personal question, feel free to answer or not, do you back up your iPhone to the cloud? Do you use iCloud to back up apps and things like that? Apple has access to every text message you've ever sent. They can read it. Anybody who cracks an Apple server, very unlikely, extremely secure, not very private, but if they'd ever got cracked by an outside person, or maybe let's say an Apple employee who is just pissed off. All of your information could be out there. So whatever you back up to the cloud, it's no longer yours. It's not encrypted on your device. I have an iPhone, but I don't use cloud service. Chose not to. Because I want my information to stay with me. It's no different than handing somebody a $100 bill and say, just hold on to that for me. I'm going to come back for it eventually. Never going to see that again. So Signal, what Signal does is it basically says, you guys can message however you want. It's end-to-end -end encrypted. So you can say, here's a $100 bill, but it's in this Da Vinci Code vinegar vial thing with a passcode thing. Great. And then you tell the person on the other end the passcode, but the middleman doesn't know the passcode, so they don't have access to the information. There's just data. And then the other person gets it and reads your message it. It encrypts it between the users, point-to-point -point encryption. You'll see that as P2P or P2PE. So point-to-point -point encryption. The benefit of Signal is even on Apple, 
anything that goes through the Signal app is encrypted. Apple has no access to that data. Not only does Apple not have access to it, Signal doesn't have access to it. They don't know what it is. So they're just a courier. They're the movie transporter. Rule number one, don't ask, what's in, don't ask what you're transporting, right? They don't know what it is. They're just going back and forth. There's no, they have to log an IP address when you sign up because it's European law and they have your phone number because they need to know where to send it. Outside of that, I don't really know anything about you. It's whatever you volunteer to them. So the benefit of something like Signal is that nobody knows what the information is except you and the person you're sending it to. The other cool thing, and there's a lot of cool things about Signal, you can turn on what's called disappearing messages. So after a week, or whatever that time is, four weeks, two weeks, three weeks, an hour, five seconds, that message disappears whether it's read or not. So you ever go through your phone, you're like, oh my God, look at all that. I've got literally every text I've ever sent going back to the day I got the phone. It slows the phone down because it has to store that information somewhere. You can kind of help that with that. The other cool thing about Signal, uh, do you have children that use Android devices? No. Friends? You, 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 yeah. They try to send you a video and it comes through as this yeah. grainy, you know, 2004 shot on my whatever. The cool thing about Signal, Android to iPhone, doesn't matter. You can send whatever you want. You can FaceTime using Signal from Android to Apple. doesn't matter because you're using the same service. Online services. Okay. Who uses Google.com to search or Google Chrome to just search? Hands up. One, two, three. I use DuckDuckGo. DuckDuckGo. Oh, got an expert in the room here. No, I like it. it up for me. I love it. I love it. I like your son. So consider changing your search engine. Why does that matter? Because Google collects every damn thing that they can. If you're going to change one thing, change your search engine. Your search engine can be Brave Search. What the hell is that? I'll get there. Don't worry. You can use DuckDuckGo. You do not have to go to the website to do this. You don't have DuckDuckGo.com, enter, okay, now I can search. You can set default search engines inside your browser. Go to that little three lines in the top right, you click, go to settings, and then it says, what default search engine do you want to use? And DuckDuckGo is in the drop-down list. Here's the challenge. As with anything in life, there is a catch. Google has built its own search engine. So when you search for something using Google, certain results come up. Whatever they want you to see comes up. Depending on what you've searched for in the past may curate what you see going forward. What part of the country, state, or county you're in may change the results that you get. Not necessarily what I would consider just Hey, I just want to know, is this a wart or is this a blister, right? Like, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm just searching. I just want to know if it's a wart or a blister. I, it's, it's a very innocuous or innocuous uh, search thing. But guess what? Google, Google's curating all that to you. DuckDuckGo is not its own search engine, but it anonymizes who you are to Bing. So it uses Bing.com search engine and basically anonymizes you. There are many more search engine options that are way more involved, harder to use, but those are the two. So DuckDuckGo is kind of the quick and easy one that I'd recommend. To get the other one, 
we have to go and get a different browser. So I'll tell you about that after. Uh, secure email. Who uses Gmail in this room? I do. God, you guys don't use anything? Do you have cell phones at this point? <laughs> <Yeah>. Jesus. <laughs> Outlook. Outlook. Okay, so it's a Microsoft product. Yeah. It's not secure because you're using their servers. None of your information is encrypted. They know who you are. They know where you log in. They know everything about you. Especially if you use Gmail and you've got an Android phone and you leave location services on and you use Google Chrome. Google knows everything about you. ProtonMail and Tutanota are two services that are far more secure and far more private. Well, what makes them more secure? There's a term called open source. What that means is they're putting the information of their code out there so that people can review the code, so they know there's nothing nefarious going on. The other cool thing that that does is somebody might say, hey, did you know there's a vulnerability here? Oh, Christ, no, we didn't. Thank you. They recode it. They lock that down. So they patch things through the help of the community. And there are far more people with good intent than far more people with bad intent. Open source is a great tool. It's when you take something and put it behind this door and you say, oh, yeah, 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 it's our email service. Well, can I just check it to make sure there's not like some gremlin in there reading everything that I send you? No, 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 this is ours. Proprietary. We can't let this get out. It costs us a whole lot of money. Makes me a little wary, right? That's like going to buy a car and the guy says, yeah, it'll do zero to 60 in two and a half seconds. Can I see the engine? Nope. Trust me. The engine's there. Yep, I promise you the engine's there. <laughs> Would you buy that car? I wouldn't buy that car. Personally, you're not going to let me look under the hood, kick the tires? No. Secure and private. Again, two different things. So secure, open source, helps it to, to be secure. Private, because they only, these two, only keep record of what is required by law which sounds normal, right? But they're not US based, so they are not held to US law. They are held to the laws where they're established. In the case of ProtonMail, I'm pretty sure <coughs> that is Switzerland, and I have no idea where Tutanota is. It might be Germany. So it's not US law. And there are different standards over there. So all ProtonMail is required to, to my knowledge, is required to, to keep record of is the IP address where you first created the account. And that might be it. I thought there were two things. I think the second was for Pro, uh, Signal because they need your phone number. I think ProtonMail only has the IP address where you created the account. And that's it. That's great because I don't have to use my real name. I don't have to use anything. It's a free service if I want it to be. Again, there are, you can donate to this. It's open source. You can go in and you can say, you know what, I really like this service. I know you don't charge me. Here's 10 bucks, keep it going. Make sure it stays free for everybody else versus being charged $100 a year kind of thing. But there are also paid versions of ProtonMail. And 
all cards on the table, I use a paid version of ProtonMail. And if you've got your own website, you can use your email. All your email can go through your Proton account if you wanted it to. At whatever your domain is .com, link it to your Proton account, and it all goes in there. That's cool. The challenge becomes on the other side of that. Where's that coming from? It's coming from a Gmail, so it's not necessarily secure. So the more people you can get on a platform that is both private and secure means you get that end-to-end -end encryption, that point-to-point -point encryption. That's the most secure you can be. Uh, VPNs. VPN is a virtual private network. That's all it means. You see ads for, uh, oh, what's it? NordVPN is usually a big one you see ads for. Again, where is that company located? So what laws are they forced to adhere to? There are a couple. One is called iVPN and, of course, ProtonVPN. Proton has a VPN service as well. If you don't know what a VPN is, look into it, understand what it does, but also understand it is not hiding who you are on the Internet. People have a misconception. A VPN, virtual private network. Well, it's, it, basically what it does is it says your Internet traffic, your data, is coming from a place that it's not. So if you're in Florida and you use VPN, you can say, I want to be in Germany today. And then your IP address is from Germany. Just does that. But it doesn't hide what you do on the Internet. It just masks where you're kind of coming from. But it can all be backtraced to some degree. So it's not perfect. It's not like a, I'll just use a VPN and then I can do all this stuff, nefarious stuff. That doesn't work that way. They're still going to find you. And then cloud storage. If you must use cloud storage and you have a Dropbox account, and your information is not encrypted on that Dropbox account before it goes there, Dropbox has access to everything you put on there. So if you put tax records and all that bullshit on there, guess what? They have your tax records. If you want something that is a cloud storage, Nextcloud and uh, Cryptomator. Cryptomator, I think, is the one that encrypts your files before they go somewhere else and then decrypts them. If you use Dropbox, just beware, or, or any cloud storage, iCloud, whatever it is, just understand that the information that you put out there is accessible, possibly, by the company that created the service. And that's not to say that every company that's created a cloud service is using it for to sell your stuff, because quite frankly, they'd go out of business in a heartbeat. But understand that it they don't always have your best interests in mind. Because when push comes to shove, they're going to make sure they report to their shareholders or the government or both or whatever bad CEO they have at the time. You're giving up a lot of data for that. Other online services. Password manager. If you have a notebook at home with usernames and passwords in it, Get a password manager and burn that thing tonight. If you have an Excel document or a Word document with all your usernames and passwords in it, burn it tonight. You guys have Apple. I'm guessing you use the little Apple Pass thing on there for usernames and passwords. That's a great. That is a password manager. You probably didn't even know you were using it. The ones that I like are Bitwarden and KeePass in that order. Bitwarden, super easy to use. KeePass, also very easy to use. 
Benefit of a password manager? You can create these really long, weird, whatever passwords, usernames, and it stores them for you. You don't have to remember, like when you get your brand new Wi-Fi modem and the password is just a bunch of random string of letters and numbers and weird symbols. That's what your password could be. You don't have to try to remember that. The password manager does that for you. Why is that beneficial? Again, social engineering. If I know your dog's name and I know the street you grew up on, and I know your mother's maiden name, I could probably find out a lot of information about you and I probably could crack at least one of your passwords. Those are apps? The, so Bitwarden is an app you can download for the phone. It's a plugin for your web browser. I'll explain what a plugin is uh, when we get to the web browser part. Um, and it is app for the phone, plugin for the web browser, and a standalone service. You can go to their website and see it there too if you so wanted when you to. Put a password in, automatically saves it there? Mm -hmm. <clears throat> yes. If you are saving passwords in your Google Chrome, your Safari, your web browser of choice right now, please stop. Please export that data if you can. Go in, you know, hey, I wanna, I wanna see all my usernames and passwords. Export that data out somewhere and then systematically go through that list and change your passwords and put them into a password manager. Why? Because there is a very simple attack that is literally a copy-paste. So go somewhere, copy this, go somewhere else, paste. It's an attack on your web browser that gives them access to any saved usernames and passwords, any saved payment methods, all of that stuff. And the password manager, Bitwarden, for example, can store more than just passwords. It can store payment information. It can store identity information, you know, license, you know, driver's license information and stuff like that. Whatever you want it to store, basically, it can store. It is secure. It is secure. It is open source. That's why it's secure. People go in, they pressure test it, they say, hey, here's a little bit of a vulnerability. Did you know about that? No, we didn't. Thank you. We'll patch it. And there's usually, uh, so there's bounty programs. Similar to safe cracking, hey, if you can crack into this gun safe, we'll give you $10,000. Similarly, usually companies like this will do bounty programs where they say anybody can bypass our system in a certain amount of time, we'll give you $10,000 or $100,000 or however confident they are. Bitwarden's a good one. KeyPass is another good one. If you use an Apple one, great if it's on all your devices, but if you ever use an Android or a Windows device, your Apple information password manager stuff probably isn't there. If you ever have to log into something and it says scan your phone or face ID to log in with your password, it's, it's storing that password somewhere, but you're using your bio credentials to say, yes, I am who I am. Go ahead and put that password in. Well, that little prompt always like, comes up all the time if you want to save your password. Yes, and you could, you, could, no. you could turn that prompt off. Okay. Yep. But I never have saved my passwords on the computer. Good. You got them written down or you got them memorized or something, right. And honestly, so here's the other thing. You probably have way more usernames and passwords out there than you even know. Because when I went through this process of going to a password manager, oh my goodness, I exported that list out of my browser because I was the same way. I stored all my usernames and passwords in the browser. The browser will take care of it. It's on my computer. How could somebody possibly get to that? And then I read about it. I was like, oh crap. Yeah, I should probably take these off the browser. I exported it. It was a long list. Oh my God, over 100. Well over 100. And then I was like, okay, well, I don't use this service anymore. Go close that service down, shut that, cancel that, whatever. 
and then put the rest in the password manager. And when I did that, I changed those passwords to that weird long 61 character thing. So even I don't know it. So it is double blind. Somebody has a gun in my head and said, you need to give me your password for this site. I don't know it. I don't know it. My password manager knows it. Beneficial. The good thing about something like Bitwarden is it's cloud-based. What does that mean? That is like in the ether somewhere, right? No, it just means it's server-based, meaning you can access it, but you need access to the internet to access it. Something like KeePass or some other ones, you own that. So it's with you physically as opposed to in the cloud. So you don't need internet access necessarily for your password manager. The good thing about having it on your Apple phone, you can have both. You can do Bitwarden and the Apple Pass. I think it's called Apple Pass. Um, it's a physical device that it's doing it on. Not necessarily iCloud or the internet. So you can have, absolutely have both. It's just when you have to type in that 61 character thing, that sucks. But they can be as long or as short as you want them. I and some websites limit that stuff. Aliasing. The hell is an alias? It's exactly what it sounds like. Hi, I'm Marcus. I'm not Marcus. That's an alias. By the way, everybody should have a fake name. If you don't have a fake name that you give at drive throughs go home tonight, come up with something. <laughs> hey, can I have a name for the order? Yeah, sure. It's, it's <laughs> and you can have as much fun with it as you want. If you, especially if you go to Starbucks, oh, please have fun with this. Come up with a funny spelling for something. I'm Babe Ruth. Right, yeah. Babe well, Bruce. the problem is people wouldn't get that. They wouldn't understand it. Oh, you mean Aaron Judge? No, it's different. Uh, come up with a fake name. If nothing else, it's a fun exercise. You know, what do I look like? And you can ask around your friends, what do I look like? Do I look like, do I look like a John? I don't look like a John, right? And then come up with something. Then you can use that. Put it up to them. Aliasing is no different from email. Maybe you don't want your email out there. Now, why would that matter? There are things called um, data breaches. Usernames, passwords, email addresses, all that information gets sold. And then what happens? You get spam emails or you get people trying to hack into your account or whatever it is. Well, guess what? If you use a, a service like Simple Login, MySudo, or something else like that, they generate an email address for you. And it's a bunch of bullshit, but it is linked back to your actual email address. So you can say, yeah, I'm, I'm this and that at touchstone.com. Well, that doesn't actually exist, but what it does is it links back to your Gmail account or whatever it is that you're using. So you're not physically giving out your actual email address. So when that data breach happens, guess what? You just go kill that one. Kill that email. It's gone. Then you're never going to get spam. It's a great service. So simple login would probably be the one that I'd recommend for that. So what the hell is this privacy.com thing? Privacy.com is a service that I personally use for VCC, Victor Charlie Charlie, virtual credit cards. Go to a website, enter your credit card information here. Well, <laughs> fun story, there is a huge vulnerability in those little pay boxes that people exploit all the time. And every time you punch that in, they're logging your keystrokes or they're copying the information down. And now they have access to your credit card number, the security code on the, on the back, and the expiration date, and the name that's on it. But if you use a 
virtual credit card, it's no different than the email thing example I gave you before. It's a random number, but that's linked back to your privacy.com account. The cool thing about that is you can create multiple virtual credit cards and say, you know what? I want this one only locked to Starbucks. So it's locked to that retailer. So somebody steals your information from Starbucks and they try to go to Best Buy and drop 600 bucks on a iPad, it's not it's going to be rejected because you've locked it to only Starbucks. The other thing you can do is you can say, you know what? I only want I want to budget my my money better. So I'm going to lock this to Starbucks and I'm going to lock it to 35 bucks a month. And then if you go over that, it's going to decline. Ah, damn it, I've hit my limit this month. I guess I went one too many times. I didn't budget my money well. So it'll decline. You can create one for online banking. You can create one, or not banking, but online purchases. You can create one for anything that you want. And then you're not giving your actual credit card information out. So when that credit card becomes attacked or out there in a data breach, just kill it. Generate a new VCC and move on. As opposed to your bank sending you an email, hey, your credit card was exposed in a data breach at Target and we'll send you a new one. It'll take seven to 10 business days. Well, God forbid you're somewhere away from, away from your house, away from your mail. What if you're on vacation and something happens? Now that credit card that you just brought, you might have only brought one. Now it's not going to work. But if you can use a virtual credit card, that could work. And maybe you tie that virtual credit card to an Apple Pay. Or I think Apple Pay even actually does virtual credit cards now. So there are other services that do it, but privacy.com is kind of across the board. Here I am telling you, you're going to go home and go, Jesus Christ, I had no idea all these people could steal all my shit this way. I didn't realize I was at such danger. It's not as bad as I'm making it out to be. Again, because threat model. Are you really their target? Are you that high profile or do you have that much money in the bank that you have become that target? Probably not. Web browsers. Who uses Google Chrome? Hands up. Come on. Hands up for Google Chrome. Nobody on Google Chrome. Chrome? Yeah. Yeah. Google Chrome is based on a project called Chromium. Chromium is open source. What Google said is, it's a pretty cool web browser you got there. We'll take it. And then we'll stick it behind this door. We're going to add all of our other shit to it. And then we're going to pop it back out as Google Chrome. So for everybody who likes Google Chrome, yeah, but I don't want to have to learn Safari because it looks different and it feels different. Well, guess what? Google Chrome is a Chromium-based browser. Chromium is open source. And Bromite, the Onion browser is not, but Bromite and Brave are Chromium browsers. Which means if you use Google Chrome, download Brave. It looks and feels identical identical because it's the open source version. It is de-googled. <laughs> and I am now kicked off YouTube <laughs> because they own that too. Download Brave. Uh, if you're on Android, you can download Brave. You can also download Bromite off the F-Droid if you're on the F-Droid platform. Um, for iOS, for Apple users, you can use the Onion browser. That is an alternative to Safari. Safari is actually not that bad, um, but it is still an Apple product. 
So you can download the Onion browser if that's something you wanted to do. Again, you're compartmentalizing your life. Maybe you use the Onion browser for your normal surfing and you use Safari to log into your accounts. Simple as that. Download Brave. It'll work on... I don't know if Brave is for iPhone. I haven't tried that yet. But I know it works on Windows. I know it's for Mac. I know it's for Linux and Ubuntu. I'm just using words at this point that make no difference. But I also know that it will work across platforms. Brave is a great one. Firefox. If you really don't like a Chromium-based browser, Firefox is still a good browser. Still good. Probably remember that from, what would that have been, 2007 maybe? 15 years ago? Firefox? It's older than that. Right. It's old. It's old. <laughs> Some of them have been older that long. <laughs> Firefox is still a great browser. And arguably, Firefox is better than Brave, provided you set your settings up properly. You can do hardened Firefox, which I have done on uh, actually this device as well. You can Again, it can be as much or as little as you want it to be. The problem is you go too far, sometimes things break because websites apparently have to have certain things, and we'll get into that here actually in the next two slides. If you're going to download a web browser, download Brave. If you're coming off of Google Chrome, go to Brave. Please, 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 please. It's going to look and feel the same. You just don't have Big Brother looking over your shoulder. Uh, the other one on there is Tor, which is The Onion Router. T-O-R, The Onion Router. What the hell does that do? All right. The reason it's called the Onion Router is because that's the best analogy that they could think. When you go somewhere to a website, you send packets of data into a thing, and then that packet of data goes to the website. Well, that thing might be tracking packets. So if 135 packets come in here and 135 packets go over there, we can track it back. What the Onion does is it goes through many things, and every time it goes through a thing, it sheds a layer, or two, or three, or 12. So I might send 1,200 packets, but by the time it gets to the website, it's only 17 packets, because it's shed all that stuff to get there. So now they're saying, all right, who sent us 17 packets? They're never gonna find me at 1,200. It anonymizes who you are and where you're coming from. It's not perfect but it is a hell of a lot better than the other options. What's the problem with Tor? Well, if you needed to go to the grocery store and you got in your car and you drove from your house to the grocery store, it's going to take a set amount of time, let's say 10 minutes. But if you thought you might have been being followed because you're a former government spy and you were like, you know what, I'm gonna make six other stops before I get to that grocery store. Guess what, it's not gonna take you 10 minutes anymore. It's gonna take you an hour. So what's the downside to the Onion Router? It feels slow. Also, some websites will absolutely say, we think you're fake, see you later, and they won't load, which is unfortunate. Browser plugins, I talked to you about plugins. All right, so if you're gonna download Brave, let's say, these are the two plugins that I'd recommend, uBlock Origin and Bitwarden. What does uBlock Origin and Bitwarden do? Well, uBlock blocks all those stupid pop-up ads. It blocks those, do you accept the cookies for this website? It'll block all that crap if you want it to. And the cool thing about Brave is Brave also does that. So you're adding a second layer. 
the plugins sit on the little top next to your search bar. And all of this that I'm telling you, I have no reference, so you don't see me using it on the screen. I'm going to give you resources at the end, I promise. Go use the resources, they will walk you through everything. How to download a plugin, they will literally walk you through how to do it. Be careful though, because too many plugins, too many apps on your phone, every time you do that, that's another avenue of attack for somebody. So if you've got 130 apps on your phone, I have 130 ways to get in. If you've got 12, I've got 12. Every app you download, every plugin that you have is another avenue of attack that you need to threat model. It's a lot of stuff there. But the big ones are Signal for your cell phone, ProtonMail for your, G for your e uh, email provider, and then I would argue Brave and Bitwarden and uBlock. And then privacy.com for virtual credit cards, simple login, if that's a way you want to go for aliasing as well. But if you've just got a trash email that's been garbage for years, just continue to use that piece of shit. Because all the information in there, like if you've got an old Hotmail account, please use the Hotmail. If you've got an AOL account, use the AOL account. Because odds are that's just garbage anyway. You probably haven't checked that in years. You've probably moved on to something else. But you still have the login credentials. Use the old one. All right, here we go. Settings and permissions. This is where you can all take your phones out. We're gonna go through it together. We're gonna change some shit. You're gonna be better than when you uh, walked in the door. What you allow and disallow matters and you have more power than you know. So for your Apple users, Apple phones, I'm talking to you right now. When you go into your phone, turn off all services not actively being used. That includes Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, hotspot, airdrop, NFC, all that stuff. Are you on this internet here in this building? No. No. Do you need to be on the internet here in this building? No. So when you leave the house, shut the Wi-Fi off. Little thing in your phone, you pull down on the top right, boop, touch it, it goes away. It says, oh, it turned off today. We'll turn it back on tomorrow for you. I fucking hate that about Apple. I shut it off. Don't turn the shit back on for me. I killed it. I'll turn it back on when I need it. Thank you very much. You don't need to turn it on for me. Frustrating as hell. Why does that matter? Because as you walk around, and oh, by the way, marketing people are some of the smartest and privacy invasive people on this planet. They are genius. I love a good ad. But have you ever walked around a grocery store and then you go home, there's an ad for that grocery store in your phone or coupons, or you spent more time in a certain aisle and there's an ad for whatever aisle you spent the most time in. It's because every time you walked by something, your Bluetooth was pinging. And there are sensors in the store that track your movement through the store. How do I know this? I sold groceries for 15 years. <clears throat> shut off Wi-Fi, shut off Bluetooth if you're not actively, actively using it. And what is NFC? Near field communications. So it's like, hey, do you remember the old thing? You used to bump uh, Samsung's phones together, beam something, yeah. that's NFC. When you tap to pay, I'm gonna use my Apple Pay, that's NFC, near field communications. Shut it off if you're not using it. Because guess what? If I'm walking by you, I see your purse. As a woman, your phone's probably in your purse. It's probably not in your pocket. Bump, see if I can get the NFC to work and I can get myself some stuff on Cash App or Venmo or PayPal. It's an attack that happens.
because people leave that shit unlocked, vulnerable. If you're not actively using the service, shut it off. And why do you shut off AirDrop? Because quite frankly, I don't need a picture of some man's genitals while I'm sitting on my airplane waiting for it to back away from the dock, from the gate. I don't, I just shut it off. I don't need to see it, thank you. Happens, planes have literally been grounded for that. And then they arrest the guy and then it makes news. And all you had to do was literally toggle a setting. That's it. Uh, to get to your privacy settings in iPhone, you go settings, privacy. So you tap the little gears and then you scroll down about two thirds of the way, they hide it for you. And there's a little thing called privacy. When you get in there, location services, tracking, analytics, advertising, there are 7,000 different things that you have to click on. They do not make it easy for you. Apple hates you. All they want is your information. They are very secure and horribly private. Turn off whatever you can. Reset whatever you can. Be able to say like, get a new advertising ID. And then you, are you sure? Because if you do that, you know, you're still gonna see the same number of ads, but they might not pertain to you. Good. Next. On the iPhone, you have to go through each app to ensure it doesn't have access to things it doesn't need to function. I don't know why Apple does this. On Android, you can literally go to, who's got access to my camera? Boop, 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 shut them all off. Except for, I don't know, camera? Maybe my camera should have access to my camera. My bank doesn't need access to my camera unless I tell it to if I'm gonna do a mobile check deposit or something. My favorite one, and if you think I'm lying, go check it yourself, weather.com. On a computer, you go to weather.com, and because I have my browser set up a certain way, I block all requests for location, for all that shit, right? I block all requests. Weather.com is asking to access my, any motion sensors that are attached to my computer. Why the fuck does weather.com need a motion sensor that's attached to my computer? Why do they need access to that? I just wanna know what the temperature is gonna be tomorrow. They ask for it, and if you don't have your permissions, you have to, on Apple, go through each fucking app to say, what do you have access to? So you wanna guess what I did when I got my iPhone for work? I shut every damn thing off, everything. I do not use cloud, iCloud backup. I don't do advertising, tracking, nothing. I shut anything I can, I shut it off completely. Gone, done. But guess what? If you try to access something that you killed access to, or you, you go to open the camera and you said, hey, don't use my camera camera. It'll ask you like, hey, can we have permission to use your camera? Oh, shit, yeah, I don't know why I turned that off. You can always undo it. Apple hates you. Also, consider disabling Siri. Why? Hey, Siri. Did I get anybody? Nobody? I probably got somebody on the internet because their voice may sound like mine. They always listen. It's called passive listening. You can read stories about people who have had a listening device, Amazon Echo, Siri, they're all guilty of it. It's not one worse than the other, necessarily, depending on how you feel about the company that has it. It's always listening. If you ever talked about a product, right? Let's do a little social experiment, shall we? Purina Cat Chow. Purina Cat Chow. Purina Cat Chow. 
And now for the next four days, you're going to have fucking Purina cat chow ads on every website that you visit <laughs> through Google advertising because your phone's listening because you've granted it permission to do so. You ever seen that? You go, you go somewhere, you, oh man, we were just talking about that. Look at the ad. There's an ad for it right there. There's a reason for that. Those marketing people, genius, privacy invasive, really cool. Have I freaked everybody out sufficiently yet? So, an example, I'm on uh, Apple Advertising now, mm -hmm. but the personal ads are not turned on. Good. Okay, Can you request new advertising ID? But I still get You absolutely will, because Apple gets paid by somebody to send you ads. They're just not going to be relative to you anymore. Are you sure? Yes, of course I'm well, sure. It was turned off, but I still... Can you, I didn't can, know I, it was turned off. I just good. That I can you request a new advertising ID? Is that something you can do on there? Uh, it just says view ad targeting information, but it, and it says personalized ads, and you can activate it or not, and it's been off. Good. But I still That's good. get personalized you, ads. Because your access to your microphone and all those apps. Because it's okay. Google advertising okay. that does that. Okay. That has nothing to do with Apple. It's frustrating as hell, trust me. When, when, again, I've been through this journey two and a half years, and every time I uncover a rock, there's more worms. Which is great if I'm fishing, but if I'm not fishing and I'm trying to build a house, you know, it doesn't really help me. So, that is iPhone. All right, Android, you ready? Same kind of thing, turn off all our services, not actively being used. For Android users, a little different. Settings, Privacy, Permission Manager. The cool thing about Permission Manager, it lists microphone. You know, 18 of 35 apps have access to this microphone. Then you can just go through and say, nope, 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 nope. That's the good thing about Android, it's a little more customizable. Uh, location services, tracking, analytics, advertising. Oh, hey, the one thing I didn't mention location services on Android, when you pull down from the top middle, You've got a bunch of different options and those little blue things you can toggle on and off like airplane mode. There's one called location services. It looks like a Google Maps thing. Turn that off. If you're not actively using Google Maps, turn that thing off. Because otherwise it's just constantly tracking you. Well, yeah, but so is my cell phone provider because I'm hitting a cell phone tower. Yes, but they don't have GPS coordinates on you. They have a triangulated position on you, but not GPS coordinates. Turn off location services, which is to drag down from the top, it's a little thing. Turn off location services on Android. On Apple, I don't think that's an option, at least not to my knowledge, not one that I've found yet. I think you've got hotspot, what is it, hotspot, Bluetooth, airplane mode, and Wi-Fi in that four little thing, and then you have to open up the settings to get to anything else. Now, on Android, again, you go through each category to ensure the apps don't have access, they don't need to function, and then also consider, consider disabling Bixby if you have a Samsung device, or Google if you have a non-Samsung Android device. Consider disabling that stuff. Because again, all it's doing is listening to you. And quite frankly, I don't listen to me when I talk sometimes, so they don't need to do it. <laughs> so if you turn off something like the microphone, if you turn it, just turn it off, does that kill it if you use it when you're talking to somebody? Yeah. You're saying from the top drop-down, pull-down list? Yeah. Yeah, it turns it off for everything, which can be beneficial if you're in a place where you're like, you know what, I just don't need this thing listening to me right now. I just want, I just want 
as much privacy as I can get, you pull down from the top, you toggle it off. But to get to what has access to the microphone, that's settings, privacy, permissions manager. And then you'll see microphone. 18 of 35 apps have access to microphone. Or have I can turn, off, turn it off to the app Correct. that I don't want to have. The cool thing about Android is you can turn off based on the thing that's being accessed, in this case the microphone, or you can see, there's a little thing that say, see all permissions for this app. And then you can click on that and say, oh, why does my camera have access to my location services? I don't care where the, the camera doesn't need to know where the picture is taken. I'll look at the picture and figure out where it was taken. Thank you very much. Uh, for Mac OS, very almost identical to the iPhone because it's very similar platform. So if you've got a Mac, nobody's sitting here with their computers. But basically, if you've got a Mac, it's all the same stuff. And you see the common theme so far across all three, which is turn off all services not actively being used. It's common sense, right? I wouldn't get up in the morning to brew a pot of coffee and immediately turn on the outside light. Like it's light, it, the sun's up. Why do I need the outside light? I'm not actively using that. Turn it off. For Windows, it's going to be a little different. Settings, privacy, security. This is Windows 11 anyway. Uh, location services tracking. Go through each app permissions category. Ensure apps don't have access to things they don't need to function. It's that easy. And then consider disabling Cortana because she is absolutely useless. I think Siri's bad. Cortana is laughable. All right, now for your web browser. For your web browser, I just put general up here, as opposed, I, I considered going through Safari and Brave and Firefox and Tor and all that stuff, and I said, like, you know what? It's really, it's really all the same stuff. Again, turn off any tracking services or ad services or anything like that, turn it all off, and reset whatever you can reset. Disable autocomplete of web address. Why does that matter? Well, because it doesn't autocomplete necessarily to what you want it to. And you might end up somewhere you don't want to be. Uh, disable login credential, payment method, and address and location saving. Why? Well, very simple. If somebody else gets access to this computer and they can open the web browser, which they can do with a double click, I don't want them to have access to all my payment methods. I don't want them to have access to all my usernames and passwords or every location I've ever searched before before for directions or whatever it is. Clear your browsing data and cookies and other site data regularly. Threat model this. For me, every single time I close the web browser, it forgets everything I've already done. I've just done. Forgets it all. Which sounds really good, right? It's like, yeah, you don't need to remember that shit. Get rid of it. The downside is every time I open a web browser and I go to a site, I get that stupid cookie banner that pops up. Not so much anymore because I've changed some settings. But every time you go there, it's going to ask for that. What are cookies? Cookies and cash are a teenager that thinks they know what you're trying to say but actually don't know what you're trying to say. It's the teenager that finishes the sentence for you, but finishes a sentence that you weren't saying. It's like, oh, yeah, 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 you were looking for this. N no, hear me out. Just shut up and listen for a second. That's not what I was looking for. That's not what I was here to, to find. Cookies and cash, that's basically what they do. 
the teenager that thinks they know better than you. Benefit? Loads web pages faster. Has anybody here, on a traditional internet speed, had a web page load at a speed they were unhappy with because it was too slow? No. That does not happen anymore. Unless you're using an Onion router. Tor browser. Then it's slow as death. But, out of 56k dial-up modem, oh yeah, I'll take all the help I can get. Today, if it loads in 3 seconds versus 2 seconds, doesn't bother me. In today's day and age, cookies, cache, they're designed to help load web pages faster and identify who you are. It's called fingerprinting. You don't need it in today's day and age. At common internet speeds, even the slow one from uh, today's providers, are still fast enough that you're, it would be, you'd be hard-pressed to actually see a discernible time difference in loading a web page. Disable all permissions to all sensors. Again, weather.com does not need access to the motion sensors on your computer, if there are any. So, there are many, many, many more. Privacyguides.org is going to be a huge resource for you. Privacyguides.org covers more than just web browsers, computers. They cover basically anything that is digital, they cover. And they can literally, step by step, this is how you should change your settings per their recommendations. But understand that their threat model might not be the same as yours, but I tend to err on the side of being more cautious and locking it down because I can always unlock it again versus being too nice and just telling people everything and then getting all my shit stolen. All right, final thoughts. Good crisis was a long one, but it was a fun one. So what do we do after all this? There are many helpful resources with more detailed information. Um, a couple that I recommend, techlore.tech, privacyguides.org, thenewoil.org. What is that thing on the right? Do you guys know what that is? It's a QR code. What is a QR code? A QR code is something that you can scan and it takes you somewhere. So the way it works is you, you, you grab your phone, you open your phone's camera app, every, every, most smartphones now, most every smartphone now, you just open the camera app, you literally point the camera at it, you don't even have to take a picture, little thing pops up, you tap the thing, it takes you to that website. Done. QR codes, that's how they work, that's how they were designed to work. So what looks innocuous, right, this, this funny looking square thing, you see them at gas pumps, you see them the fucking bank you see them every commercials on television restaurants restaurants hey check out our our, our menu just scan this couple things one you don't know where the fuck it's going because i can't read that i don't know what the hell that says two there's usually tracking information involved in that where the qr code was how many times it's been scanned how many times you have scanned a qr code and oh by the way by scanning that you might also unknowingly be granting permissions as part of it too. You all passed the test. Because at no point, while I was explaining that, did I tell anybody to scan that. I never told you to scan the QR code. But what I did provide you is all the stuff on the left, which you can physically write down without ever having to open your phone's camera app. You didn't have to do it. 
So everybody passed. Good job. Don't scan QR codes. So what did we learn? Habit changes. Don't let your guard down. Even in an entrusted environment, don't let your guard down. Now, I don't have any nefarious intent. Obviously, I've made a funny video. But <clears throat> you might have someone else who says, can you sign this petition? All you have to do is scan this code. It's an electronic sign. It's a new thing. You don't actually have to physically write pen because COVID. We can't have you touching pens anymore. So you scan the QR code. <laughs> it's social engineering. That's what it is. And then you scan the code. Don't let your guard down, even in an entrusted environment. You go to a restaurant. Well, actually, we don't have menus. You have to scan this code to see the menu at this restaurant. <laughs> Honey, let's go to McDonald's. Uh, don't succumb to social pressures that undermine your work. So what could have happened? If this room was full of young people and one person saw one person, you know, scan the code. Oh, shit, yeah, I should do that too. Social pressures. One person does it, it's cascade effect. Everybody does it. Don't succumb to that. Don't sign up for services that aren't necessary. <clears throat> Don't go in and say, you know what? I should really look at this thing because everybody's doing it. And you know what? Yeah, it's not bad. But I mean, I've got three other emails, but I suppose I can get a ProtonMail account too. If you don't want Proton, don't do it. The cool thing about Proton is they have the Gmail Easy button, which is literally you can import everything from your Gmail account into this, so you have all your history. You don't have to worry about it. <clears throat> It'll all go there. Close all accounts that are extraneous or no longer needed. I kind of already talked about that. Delete and remove all apps and software that you don't use from your phone. Talked about that, right? If you've got 135 apps, it's 135 different ways for me to attack your phone. Regularly review and test your measures. I'm not saying try to hack yourself, but <clears throat> stay up to date on new threats and resources. And say, you know what, hey, there's a new threat. Uh, Target had another data breach where people's credit card information got stolen. Uh, review and test my measures. Go check my bank account, make sure nobody stole mine. Right? And did, did I use a privacy.com credit card when I bought that stuff last time online? Or did I use my actual credit card when I bought it online? All that stuff. And then final comments. <clears throat> you will likely find that enhanced digital security and privacy comes at the expense of convenience. It's just how it works. I didn't say I like it, but that's how it works. Again, if you're going to do something, err on the side of going too strict because you can always back it off. And then you might find, honestly, you're like, oh man, I went really strict. And then you find, oh, actually, I didn't. I didn't go as strict as I thought I did, or that wasn't nearly as strict as I thought it could have been. I can go further. But go more strict than you think. You can always back it off. And at some point, you will likely feel overwhelmed and burned out on all this. Hopefully not right now. But stay the course. I have felt this way over the last two and a half years. I've probably felt this, this way every four months. I get to a point where I hear stuff and I'm like, oh my God, it's another thing I need to protect myself against. You're going to feel overwhelmed. You're going to feel like, again, go back to that very first slide. Well, yeah, but how can I even do this? The internet, in the age of the internet, how can you actually be private secure, right, realistically? It can be done. It absolutely can be done. Don't get too overwhelmed. Stay the course. Control what you can control. Those are the big things. And hopefully, you all change some settings on your phone so you'll leave here tonight better than when you walked in the door. And hopefully you got some more information from some of that other stuff and you'll go home tonight and you'll open up your laptop and say, you know what, I need to change some settings on this thing. Because Microsoft, Windows, 
they have access to everything. And Apple, good luck. I mean, Apple is, if you've got a Mac computer and an iPhone and all that and an iPad and you've got location services on, it's no different than Google, right? Google with a Google Home device and an Android device and all this, you know, use Google Maps on this and that. It's no different, right? These companies are as big as they are for a reason. And it's mostly because you're the product. And then they buy competitors and turn them into their product.